0: If you are listening to this, every now and then we have technical difficulties on a Saturday night and uh, we had technical difficulties this past Saturday night and were unable to record the podcast. I've had several people ask uh, when it would be up and I told them that it didn't get recorded and, um, and they asked if I could just teach through my notes. I've done that before and so I'm going to do that. Uh, with this sermon. And so if you have uh, your Bible and you have something to write with, let me give you a few things um, as we dive in. First of all, you're going to want to be in chapter six of the book of Daniel, and you're also going to want to be ready to look at Hebrews chapter 11. The title of this sermon is Faith Without Filters. Faith Without Filters. And my sermon in a sentence is Our Faith must infiltrate every facet of our lives. So this is the second to the last week of this sermon series that we're in called Reaching the Remnant. And, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed this sermon series. I I love how the book of Daniel, uh, and not only the book of Daniel, the life of Daniel, and the life of the three other Jewish boys have painted a picture of what the life of a remnant is should look like and remember we've said that a remnant is a small remaining quantity of something and that something could be anything a seamstress might use that word to describe uh, leftover fabric something that she has left over after a project and she keeps and puts away in case she has a need for a small portion of Fabric. Uh, if you have a small area of flooring to cover, maybe in a remodel of your house, and it's a it's a closet or a small room, and you don't need a whole big roll of carpet, you might go to the carpet store and ask for a carpet remnant. What we're talking about in this series is a remnant of people who are going to be faithful, remain faithful to God in times when it wouldn't be the most popular thing to do. When you look at Daniel chapter one, you read. That Daniel had determined in his heart that he would not defile himself. There were certain things that were put before him, certain uh, delicacies and, and, and opportunities that he knew would be crossing a line in his devotion to God if he were to indulge in them. And so, you know, with wisdom, with grace, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these other three boys, they all kept themselves undefiled. And I was thinking about what what is the core ingredient to their faithfulness. The core ingredient to these boys' faithfulness is it's pretty simple it's faith. It's faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says that, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, this is important because you're not going to become or remain a remnant without faith. It seems like faith has been dumbed down to just uh, believing in God. You know, it makes you wonder how many people in the church are really just a few degrees away from being atheists. There's a a Christian author named Jerry Bridges, and he calls that practical atheism. You know, faith in God isn't you know, just believing that he's somewhere out there, somewhere out. He's just somewhere out there. Faith is confidently knowing that he's right here. Like he's right here with us. Wherever we go, God is there. Psalm 46 verse 1 says that God is our refuge and our strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble. Think about what would happen when we would live our lives, if we were to live our lives, like Jesus is right there with us. We're not going to cave in when we face trials. We're not going to sin when we face temptation because it's like, wow! Well, I'm like, I can't do this right now. Jesus is right here with me. And these are, all, these are things that obviously are pleasing to the Lord, which is what it goes on to say in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. When my faith produces faithfulness, God is pleased. When my belief in His existence makes me mindful to make godly choices and to do the right things whenever questionable circumstances come up, this pleases God. When God is pleased with my life, what happens? He begins to do great things in us and through us. This is what it goes on to say, that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. And then it goes on to give, you know, Hebrews 11, you start reading, it goes on to give a brief, a brief list of men and women who, you know, they weren't perfect, but they had great faith. And they saw God do amazing things in their lives. And if you look in verse 32, after listing several of those faithful men and women of God, it says that what, the writer says, what more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. It goes on and on to list these amazing things that God did in and through these people. And, you know, I thought about this and I wrote it down and based upon this and what we read in scripture, faith in God produces mighty acts of God. Like we got to come to terms with that. When you have faith in God, at some point in your life, it's going to produce mighty acts of God. And you may have noticed that it listed uh, shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames. It didn't list Daniel's name in here, you know, in Hebrews eleven, but it recounted the mighty act of God. It doesn't say the names Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but it retold in in one nicely uh, refined sentence the story of what God did in and through and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four boys are considered hall of faithers, even though they lived in one of the scariest times in Israel's history. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked ruler. Babylon was an overwhelming city to find yourself in after being in Jerusalem. And these guys were young. They were very impressionable. All things considered, they should have crumbled under the pressure. They should have eaten the king's food. They should have drank the king's wine. They should have bowed down to that big old statue that Nebuchadnezzar erected. But they didn't because they had faith. And every act of faith on their part produced a mighty act of God. Okay, so what happens when a person of faith, filled with faith, acts in faith, and sees God do amazing things in their lives over and over and over and over again? What happens Well, they become a target? You know, by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has been so steady and so faithful and has been used by God to do so many amazing things that he's pretty much become a legend there in Babylon. Chapter 5 ends with Daniel being promoted to the th- uh, to the third highest ranking official in Babylon. You might remember that that King Belshazzar, he crossed a line. When he decided to use some of the golden goblets that Nebuchadnezzar took from Israel's holy temple in his uh, pagan worship rituals, he crossed the line. And God's own hand shows up in the room and writes a mysterious message on the wall, but nobody could interpret the message. Well by this time Daniel had become a legend, and so they called him in. He was a legend because he was able to interpret things and understand things. He he seemed to have God all over him and so they call him in. Daniel tells Belshazzar what the words on the wall say. And basically he says, you should have humbled yourself and followed God like your father Nebuchadnezzar did. But instead you became prideful and you became defiant. And so your days are done. That's basically what he tells Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, you know, even though he hears these words, he's grateful that he got an interpretation. And so he puts a bunch of fancy clothes on Daniel and a golden chain around his neck and proclaims that he's now the third highest ruler in Babylon. And so that same night that this all happened, Belshazzar was killed. And everything that Daniel said would happen comes true. And so chapter 6 opens like this. It seemed good to Darius, Darius the Mede, Darius is now, uh, Darius is now, you know, ruling. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Verse 3, Daniel 6, verse 3 says that, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Okay, so Daniel is already one of the top three commissioners who ruled over these 120 satraps. His influence as a Jew, Now I want you to think about this, His influence as a Jew in Babylon is 100% unprecedented. I mean, like it made no sense that he was one of the top three commissioners. But then think about it. Shouldn't this be the case for someone who possesses an extraordinary spirit? Is it not true that people who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit will supernaturally stand out? Aren't we told that, Power from on high will come upon us when we receive the Holy Spirit. And aren't we told that God will do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine? In verse 3, it says that the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Over in chapter 1, Daniel didn't determine in his heart that he was going to be appointed over the entire kingdom. He only determined in his heart not to defile himself. He just wanted to remain faithful to God. If I can just keep from eating the king's food, God will be pleased. If I can just keep from drinking this wine, God will be pleased. He wasn't thinking about becoming number one in Babylon. And yet, faith does what faith does. True faith produces faithfulness. Faithfulness pleases God. And when God is pleased, he does great things in our lives. Now, that's not to say that God couldn't or wouldn't do great things in our lives when we are, you know, a little low on faith. Of course he can And I believe there are times when he does, because even when we are faithless, Scripture says he remains faithful. But how much sweeter is it when we have been faithful? Now back to what I was saying, when, when true faith produces faithfulness, and that faithfulness puts a big smile on God's face, and he begins doing mighty things in our lives, what happens is we become a target. In verse 4, Daniel 6, verse 4, it says, Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as as he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And then these men said, We're not going to find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. In other words, we're not going to find anything against him unless we, unless we find it in the area of his religion. Okay, so Daniel was about to be promoted. Think about this. Put all this together. Daniel was about to be promoted as number one over the entire kingdom of Babylon. Can you imagine the jealousy and the disdain that these three commissioners would have had? I mean, the whole time, but especially now that Daniel, an Israelite, would be promoted over all of them. I mean, it would have enraged these guys. But here's the, here's the question. Who's, whose ground is accusation? I mean, it says that the commissioners began trying to find grounds of accusation against Daniel. But whose ground, like whose territory is accusation really? If you look at Zechariah chapter three, Zechariah gets a vision from God. It says, Then God showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay, really quick. Uh, that picture, Joshua, the high priest standing before the Lord, ultimately that's a that's a, a type or a shadow or a picture of of the saints standing before the Lord. Joshua was the high priest. Uh, We know Jesus is the great high priest, but um, in him and because of the work of the cross, we are now a kingdom and a priest. And so this is a picture of us and standing before the Lord in our priestly role of, of worshiping and serving him. Okay, it says, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So Satan is standing right there in the presence of God, accusing Joshua. It's a picture of Satan standing right beside us, accusing us. Revelations 12.10 tells us something very specific. It says that the accuser of the brethren, talking about Satan, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And it says, it goes on to say that he accuses us before our God day and night. Satan, the accuser, that's, that's who he is, that's what he is, and he stands accusing the saints day and night. That's all he does. He's accusing. Okay, so you tell me, who's the one that was really concerned in the situation with Daniel? It was Satan. He is the accuser. Think about it. What would happen to the nation that is synonymous with Satan? I mean, Babylon is like, you know, Sin City, it's, it's, it's synonymous with Satan and the world and all those things. And, and at that time, Babylon was well on its way to infecting every other nation upon the earth, which I'm sure Satan was super pumped about. But if a faithful, God-fearing Jewish man, who had already become a legend because of the miraculous things that God had done through him thus far, if he is promoted to the most powerfully influential, uh, influential place in the kingdom, man, who's really threatened here? The commissioners with their political agendas? No way. The one who's really threatened is Satan with his spiritual agenda. The commissioners are just pawns in the plan of the accuser. Think about it. They devise a plan that would get Daniel killed for praying to God. We know the story. And it works. And what is Daniel's death sentence? being tossed into a den of lions where he would be what devoured how does the apostle peter describe the devil in first peter chapter 5 he says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour now I want you to think about this this is the last chapter in the book of daniel that's written about you know the life events of Daniel. chapter 7 through 12 are all about the amazingly accurate prophecies that God gives Daniel about the future, including, you know, the end times. So chapters 1 through 6 are more about these events, these amazing things in the life of Daniel. 7 through 12 are more about the prophecies God gives Daniel. So like, this is it. I mean, as it relates to where we're at in the book, this is it. This is where the rubber meets the road. Satan has got to end this. Satan's like, if I don't kill this guy, there's no telling how God might use him. And so he accuses Daniel all the way to the lion's den. But remember what faith is. Faith is a firm belief that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. In Zechariah chapter 3 It says, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. But it goes on to say that the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. See, God was there. God was not somewhere far out in the universe. God is just somewhere out there, out there. No, God was there to rebuke Satan on behalf of Joshua. What did we read in Revelations chapter 12? Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. <laughs> he, who is, he who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down down. God wasn't just somewhere out there in the universe. God's just somewhere out there. That's what my faith is all about. He's out there somewhere. No, faith is that he is there. And in Revelations 12, God was there to cast Satan down and away from the saints. And I told Soma Church this several weeks ago. Scripture may describe the devil as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to destroy. But scripture also describes Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, ready to defend, ready to bring life. Daniel didn't encounter the devourer in that pit. He encountered the deliverer. And the deliverer rebuked the devourer. You see that? The deliverer rebuked the devourer down in that den. God silenced every one of Daniel's accuser. <laughs> Think about it. The, these commissioners and these satraps, these guys that were trying to trick, uh, get him tripped up, trying to accuse him, trying to get him killed. And, and, and we know that the, the accuser was behind all of it. But God silenced every one of Daniel's accusers, all of them, including the enemy himself. In fact, what did Daniel say? When the king found him alive the next morning, Daniel says, my God sent his angels. Because remember, it says that he ran to the to the uh, den to see if Daniel was alive. Daniel, are you still alive? Has the God whom you continually serve faithfully, has he delivered you? And Daniel says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. I love that. He shut the lion's mouth to where the lion could not devour. He shut the mouth of the accuser to where he could not make his accusations. He shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. Now, come on, that is it. That's what we all want. For God to shut the mouths of our enemies. For God to silence our accusers. To be able to, to diss the devourer on our behalf, right? And to deliver us in our times of trouble. That's what we all want. But how does that happen? I mean, those lions could have been, you know, either Daniel's devourer or his deliverer. Why was he delivered? Why was he delivered instead of devoured when he was down in that den? Look at verse 22. He said, my God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lion and they have not harmed me. inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, And also toward you, O king, because I have committed no crime. Now, you got to pick that up. He says, I am found innocent before God, but I'm also innocent towards you, O king. I am also found innocent innocent towards you. So, okay, think about this. Let's go back to how they tried to trap him. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Daniel 6 verse 4 and 5 from three different versions. The one that I just read it from earlier, but then I'm going to read it from the NLT, which makes it a little more uh, readable, understandable. And then I'm going to read it from the message, which always gives an interesting uh, perspective. Daniel 6 verse 4 and 5. Remember, this is how they tried to trap him. It says that the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption in as much as he was faithful. Okay, the NLT version says this. Then the other administrators and high uh, officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn he was faithful always responsible and completely trustworthy and then the message version says it like this the vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or some skeleton in daniel's life that they could use against him but they couldn't dig anything up he was totally exemplary and trustworthy They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct. So they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we can cook up something religious. Now let's think back to what our sermon in the sentence was. Our faith must infiltrate every facet of our lives. This is exactly what we see in Daniel's life. These guys couldn't find anything on Daniel. Daniel's faith infiltrated every facet of his life. These commissioners looked into his personal life. They looked into his professional life. They couldn't find anything to accuse him. So they had to figure out a way to use his spiritual life against him. I was thinking about this. and Think about how random this was. They're like, let's get the king to pass a decree that no one can pray to any god for thirty days. That had of, how did that not seem random to Darius? Um, oh, Darius, oh king, long live you, and all that. We, we had an idea. We just this, this thought that we had, just random. Um, what if we were to pass a decree that no one can pray to any god for thirty days? What would be the point of that? See, they couldn't get Daniel. For something he did wrong. So they had to get him for something that they knew he would do right. In verse 10 it says, Now when Daniel heard that the document was signed, in other words, the decree went forward, it says that he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And it says that he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had previously been doing. Now, I love this. He was not, he he, he saw the decree. He knew that it had been design, uh, signed. He knew what, what was potentially coming, but it did not stop him. Why? Because Daniel's faith infiltrated every facet of his life. Daniel knew God is not just somewhere out there Hope he's seeing, hope he's listening. I know he's out there somewhere. No, Daniel's faith went deep. And Daniel knew, God is with me. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And My, my question as I'm pondering these things and, and thinking about Soma Church and thinking about um, our body is how deep does our faith go? How deep does your faith go? How deep does your faith go? Does it infiltrate Every area of your life. Or have you, have you like put a filter on your faith? Have you put a filter? Is there any area that you have put a filter on your faith? Is there a stopping point to your trust in God? Like your trust only goes so deep. You know, it's funny because the, as I was thinking of an example, even biblically, the first thing that popped into my head was Malachi 3. Malachi 3, starting in verse 8. God says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. And you say, in what way have we robbed you, Lord? And God says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes. And he instructs them. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says, try me. It means test me. It means, it really, it means trust me. Trust me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Wow. The one time you really see in scripture where Jesus, or God rather, says, try me, test me. Trust me. Trust me in this. Trust me now in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. And then you got to see this. And maybe this is why this, this example popped in my head because I knew it was there. Then he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Now, listen, I don't know why of all things all principles in scripture that god would have attached this i will rebuke the devourer for your sake i don't i don't know why he attaches that statement to tithing offerings money trusting god with your money i have no idea but it does you know some people put a filter on their faith in their finances like They don't trust God will provide. And this is a big deal. Think about what I'm saying. Some people put a filter on their faith in their finances. They don't trust God will provide. Their faith only goes so deep. And guess what? Based upon what we read here, this principle, at some point, guess what? They are going to experience the devourer. But God says, if you'll trust me in this, I will rebuke the devourer I will silence the accuser because there will this is an area that your faith will have infiltrated this facet of your life and there's no there's nothing to accuse of you know some people put a filter on their faith in areas of fears and insecurities and we know how the enemy eats at us in those areas some people put a filter on their faith in the area of relationships Trusting God with a relationship. Will this relationship work out? Because that one sure didn't. Or will I, be a, will I be hurt in this relationship? Because I was hurt in the last one. There's so many areas where we put filters on our faith. And we allow God only a certain level of trust. Like there's a stopping point to our trust in God. I hope you hear my heart on that. I want to end the same way I did that Saturday night. And I I just, I want, I want you to repeat a prayer with me because I think this idea of putting filters on our faith, I think all of us can relate to that because all of us have something, some area in the past or now, or if not now, maybe in the future, an area where circumstances will have um, presented the opportunity for us to put a filter on our faith. So if it hasn't happened or if it isn't happening now, the opportunity to install a faith filter may come up. But we have got to be people who are ready for that, that we are like Daniel. It doesn't matter what comes. My faith is not that God is somewhere far out there, but that God is right here and ever present help in time of trouble. And so here's the prayer that I would love Uh, to end with, and maybe you could repeat with me. And maybe we'll repeat it three times, just just so that we we have it um, really, really uh, ingrained in our head and into our heart. And here's the prayer. Lord, help me to take the filters off of my faith so that you and your word and your spirit can infiltrate every area of my life. Let me pray it again. Lord, help me to take the filters off of my faith so that you and your word and your spirit can infiltrate every area of my life. And One more time. Lord, help me to take the filters off of my faith so that you and your word and your spirit can infiltrate every area of my life.